This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. in order to have peace in the same way in order for us to love we need to have faith in God we come to Christ this world doesn't know what love is this world has a distorted picture of love but when we come to Christ we understand what love is when we look to the cross God who created heaven and earth now dies for me that's love I still cannot comprehend that I don't think I have the will but you need faith in Jesus in order to have this love for one another. We, as a society, have a very elementary understanding of what love is. We think we know. Hollywood pretends to know. But just look at our skyrocketing divorce rates. If we truly knew what love was, we would be able to grow and adapt with one another. We'd be understanding and forgiving. Today, Pastor Eddie reminds us that in order to know what love is, we must first have faith in Christ. Without faith, love holds no weight. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 as he continues his message, God's final judgment and his glory. It is important for you students who take down notes to understand this, that whenever you get to Paul's greeting, when he mentions grace and peace, you'll always find that order. You always find grace. Then you find peace. It's always in that order. Every greeting that Paul gives is grace and peace. They call the Siamese twins in the gospel, grace and peace. You'll never have peace and grace. Peace can never come before grace. And again, This is theological, and I explain why. Because you'll never have peace until you receive the grace of God. You need God's amazing grace first, then you will have peace. You see, saints, because we have been saved by grace, we now have peace. You have received Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is our peace. That's what the scripture tells us. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. So Christians should never say, I have no peace. We should never say, I have no peace. Oh, I don't have a peace. I, don't, I just don't have this peace. Because if Christ is in a heart and peace is in a person, Jesus Christ, he's in a heart. We have Jesus, thus we have peace. We'll always have peace. And the only way Christ enters your heart is by what? Grace. So you see, there's always grace and then peace. And this is something the world is looking for. But the problem is that they have lost peace. They have no peace and they search for peace in all the wrong places. Their peace may depend on drugs. It may depend on people or person. It may be dependent on money or things. But peace is in the person, Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ that we have this peace, you and I, because of Jesus, the peace that surpasses 
all understanding. And we find that Philippians chapter 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. No one can understand it. All the intelligent minds in the world could be gathered in a room. They would not understand why you have this peace. Your world is falling apart. You lost your job. You're sick. You have family problems. Guess what? You have this peace. They would not understand it. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. So one must know the grace of God in order to have peace. And so we looked at Paul's greetings to the Thessalonians in verses 1 and 2. Now we look at verses 3 and 4, and where Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks to the Lord. By the way, you remember when we began an introduction with 1 Thessalonians, and there was five chapters. At the end of every chapter, Paul mentions something that has to deal with the coming of Christ. Here in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, three chapters, the, every chapter ends with a prayer. It ends with a prayer. So in the middle of his writing this letter, he is praying. Paul is a man of prayer. So let's look at verse 3. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. And so Paul cannot but help to thank God every time. Thank God in his prayer for the Thessalonians. Lord, I thank you for them. Why? Let's continue reading. He says, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Their faith continued to grow. He encouraged, he acknowledged that even in his first letter. In the midst of persecution, they are growing in their faith. Not only in number. Today, churches only care about number. I'd rather have healthy sheep than 3,000 unhealthy sheep. That's a healthy church is one, a church that has faith and grow in a faith. It is said that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Your faith will be tested. And many of you probably know that. You probably can relate to that. But every day, your faith is being tested. And it's how you come out of that testing your faith will constantly be tested because it is the only way to prove whether or not your faith is genuine, is real. If they've gone through the trials and tribulation, let's see where their faith goes. The enemy will love to give you persecution, suffering, and pain. But it is your faith that helps you, and the faith is in Christ. And Paul, he's a spiritual father to the Thessalonians, and he cannot but help. Thank God, Lord, I thank you for them. I remember when they didn't know you. I remember when I first stepped foot in Thessalonica, and there I share the gospel, and just to see them grow and flourish. Even in the midst of persecution, they've been neglected by the family, abandoned by the family, and they can't even find work because of their faith, and now they're being tested and tried. Lord, I thank you for them. That should be in our prayer. We should only pray, God, for the needs and those that need help. Pray for those that are doing well that they continue to do well. And that's what Paul is doing. They're doing well. He continues to pray that they continue to do well. He says, as it is fitting because of your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you who all abounds towards each other. They had the reputation of loving one another. We saw that in the first letter, 1 Thessalonians. But here they had the reputation of loving one another. You know, it's easy for us to gather together with people who we like. Sometimes we feel comfortable with our own people, our own culture, our own race, or organization, or we have something in common. There's a different feel I get when I gather together with some of my coworkers because we're all police officers. We have this camaraderie. We have this brotherhood, and we've been through a lot of things together. We feel comfortable. But it's easy 
That's easy when you have something in common. It's easy when it's your culture, your race, that you have some of your history. But this is what makes the church stand out from all the rest, is that each and every one of us, regardless of our racial background, regardless of our culture, we have something in common. The word is kononia. The Greek word is kononia. We have a kononia. That means fellowship. We have something in common. When we fellowship, we have something in common. I remember when I was pastoring a church in East Harlem, and there was a mixture of people. And you could imagine why people, why people are going into that storefront, little storefront church, and there are different colors. There's white, blacks, there's Hispanics, and, and they're wondering, and say, oh, that's going to be a fight. No, it's going to be love. There's something different about that group that stands out for all the other groups. It's because of the love we have for one another. It's the kononia. What we have in common? Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, now we're added to the family. We're added to the family, and we're part heirs with Christ, and we're part of Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, he said, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's the love. Now, notice here in this verse, you'll find faith, then love. Because you will not understand. Just like you need grace in order to have peace, in the same way, in order for us to love, we need to have faith in God. We come to Christ. This world doesn't know what love is. This world has a distorted picture of love. But when we come to Christ, we understand what love is when we look to the cross. God who created heaven and earth now dies for me. That's love. I still cannot comprehend that. I don't think I have the will. But you need faith in Jesus in order to have this love for one another. It's our faith that puts us in the body of Christ. Then we have this love. Paul, back in his first letter, he has something similar. He, he, he wrote, he opened up in a similar fashion. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he writes this. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Faith is first, again here. Labor of love and patient of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Now notice this. Paul opened up his second letter with faith and love. His first letter, he has faith, love, and hope. Hope is not mentioned here. And you know why hope is not mentioned here? Because of the persecution, the hope is now being diminished. Did Jesus come? Did we miss the rapture? Or are we going through the great tribulation? So this is the reason why Paul, this is the reason why he's writing his second letter. Listen, I want to get that hope back in there. I don't want to pray to God for your faith and your love. Now I want to pray to God again for your faith, love, and hope. And that's the reason why he writes the letter. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, at the end of verse 3, it says, And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and your faith and all your persecution and tribulation that you endure. He's mentioning about uh, their persecution and their tribulation because this is what they're going through. It has intensified. It has got worse. Many of them were being killed. Persecution and tribulation not only tests our faith, but it also reveals it and it causes it to grow. It's still your faith will be tested even through trials and tribulation. And as we continue in our faith, we endure through persecution. We endure through tribulation. It provides a testimony to Jesus that we have a hope. It says, look at these Christians. They're suffering through persecution. They're going through trials and tribulation. But look, they have a peace that surpasses all understanding. What is it with these crazies? Jesus. 
There is a hope. It's real. It's genuine. Your faith is genuine. Your hope in Christ is genuine. It's a testimony to the world. Then Paul tells them about the suffering, as he did in the first letter, in his first epistle to them, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, he writes this, For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it is happening, and you know. There shouldn't be a surprise to a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe that as we continue now here in our country, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be challenged even more as years and generations go by, should the Lord tarry. And the real Christians are going to stand out. Christians should know by now because, look, they're not against you because of you. They hate you because of Jesus in you. You understand that? Because of what you stand. You can mention God. You can mention God. Because there's so many gods, and they'll say, okay, that's cool. Just say God. Okay, good. There's a lot of gods. But when you say Jesus, there's a challenge. When you say Jesus, there's a challenge. Because Jesus will challenge. If you believe in Jesus, that's why Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. And so you will be tried. Even Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Just as Paul said, I told you this. Jesus is telling us this. I'm telling you what Jesus and Paul is saying. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You're going to have it in Israel because we're not of this world. There's a difference. Your citizenship is in heaven. We're sojourners here on earth. We belong in heaven. See, the problem with the Thessalonians is that they believe that they were going through the great tribulation. Again, this is the reason why Paul is writing this letter. Understand this. Notice what Jesus said here in verse 33 of John chapter 16. In the world you will have tribulation. In Matthew 24, verse 21, Jesus says, From then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world unto this time, no, nor ever shall be. There's a difference between tribulation and great tribulation. This world can give you tribulation, but this world can't give you a great tribulation. God is the one that's given a great tribulation. And he's going to give a tri- the great tribulation in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 to those who have rejected Christ. There's a difference. And so the world may give you tribulation, but what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And when Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, 21, he's saying, for then... There will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world, since creation. And if you want to understand what God can do to a nation, read what God has done in the book of Exodus to the Egyptians and Pharaoh. Ten plagues. It wiped them out. It killed their firstborn. So it's going to be worse than that. And all that we see now is nothing compared. Since the beginning of time, there's never been anything that's going to happen when it comes to the great tribulation nor ever will there ever be, even after. So this great tribulation spoken of in, in Revelation chapter 6 and 19, there's not going to be a tribulation like it because it's going to be great. It's coming from God himself. And God's going to wipe away those who have rejected him, the evil and the wicked, those who are persecuting the church. And so we looked at Paul thanksgiving for faith in verses 3 and 4. Now we're going to look at verses 5 through 12, the closing of this chapter, and it deals with the judgment of Christ at his coming, the judgment of Christ at his coming. Let's look at verse 5. He said, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. 
God will use the persecution of the saints to show his righteous judgment for two things. Number one, first, he's going to show by his righteous judgment, he's going to give rewards to his saints. Look at the end of verse five. It says that you, speaking you and I, may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. We're suffering. But Jesus said, Jesus never said it's going to be easy. He never said it was going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. We're going to suffer persecution. It's only temporary for what lies before us in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's nothing new. You know, we forget, you know, for those of us who have been through persecution, we forget that Jesus was persecuted. We forget that Jesus was flogged. We forget that Jesus was crucified. He was spat at. The beard was ripped from his face. The cat of nine tails, the whip that had these leather strands with bone or glass or metal, and once they whipped him, it caught the flesh, and they would pull it and rip his body. You're talking about persecution. Jesus has been through persecution. He's been there. He's done that. And he's got the wounds to prove it. How is it you think, oh, why we're suffering? Well, look at the, the suffering Savior. And we had the prophets also that suffered before us. They were killed. In persecution and suffering and in tribulation, know that there will be reward in heaven. It's only temporary, but heaven is eternal. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 17, Paul writes this, The Spirit is said, bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. People love this verse, but they don't like the suffering part. That we may also be glorified together. We identify with Jesus. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. That I may identify with him. We baptism is identifying with Jesus in every way that you can identify with him. You know that you are a child of God because you're being persecuted. It was Peter and John when they were stood before the council and they, they commanded Peter and John and said, listen, we command you not to preach this name. They didn't even mention Jesus. This name. Peter said, I don't know whether, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't know whether to listen to you or listen to God. You tell me. I'd rather listen to God. And they were beaten, and they were thrown in prison, and they were set free, and they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing because they got beaten. So, wow, that's proof. Man, we got beat. They beat us up with Jesus. That's great. I don't know how you're going to feel if you get beat up. <laughs> right? Probably call your lawyers, you know? But they counted worthy. Being beaten for Jesus, this is great. This is awesome. Our battles are not with flesh and blood, Paul tells us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it said, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If you endure, you shall reign with him. However, if we deny him, he also denies us. So God's righteous judge is proved by giving us the reward. And secondly, God will show his righteous judgment by retribution. Look at verse 6. He says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Paul explains that their persecution would be repaid by God. Now, 
certainly the wicked and the persecutors, you know, they, they may not, you know, receive their payment in this life, but be sure that they will be repaid and judged in the next. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us, do not be deceived. And many are, even Christians. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. Everything you sow. Don't think that you got away with it. All the sin. Oh, I'm getting away with it. God understands my heart. Yes, the heart is wicked. Who can know it? He knows your heart. Your heart is wicked. I know your heart. I mean, I know every detail of your life, but I know your heart because your heart is just like mine. It's evil, wicked. As Jeremiah said, who can know it? Oh, I could do it. Uh, God's nice. He's graceful. I could sin. I could live my life the way I want to. God will forgive me. No, whatever you sow, you would reap. God sees all things. Remember that. God sees all things, and God will bring judgment to those who have and who are persecuting his people. The judgment of God requires that the unrighteous be punished. Otherwise, he won't be a righteous judge. He wouldn't be a righteous God if he doesn't judge the wicked. Job chapter 36, verse 6, it says this, He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but give justice to the oppressed. Psalms 37, verse 28, it says, For the Lord loves justice. He loves justice because he judges righteously and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Understand, God takes no pleasure in the death and the judgment of the wicked. Ezekiel tells us that he takes no pleasure in it. He wouldn't be a loving God if he took pleasure in it. For those of you who are parents, you know it hurts you when you discipline your child, right? It hurts. But you know because you love them and you want them to learn, they have to be disciplined. In the same way, God chastened those who he loved. But the wicked, he takes no pleasure. He created them. He loved them. He sent his son to die on the cross for them. So don't think that, hey, oh, yeah, God's going to judge the wicked. Yeah, God judged the wicked. No, we should have the heart. God, save the wicked. That they may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That should be the heart. Let God be the one to judge. Paul says it is, it is a righteous thing with God to repay. What kind of judge would allow a wicked person to go unpunished? What kind of judge today? Well, some of them don't have morals now. Would a good judge allow a rapist and a murderer of a child go set, be set free? No. God knows. God is not like man. He's a righteous judge. And for those, those of us sometimes that we look at the sin of others, why Jesus says do not judge. Make righteous judgment. In other words, you, you, you have to judge no false prophet. But don't judge unto condemnation. That's the judgment. People say, oh, don't judge me. The Bible says do not judge. No, you're wrong. There's two judgments. There's a righteous judgment where you see things that are actually sinful, but there's a judgment that Jesus says, hey, take that telephone pole out of your eye before you take the dust out of your brother's eye. Because sin, it doesn't look bad when you do it. It looks bad when somebody else does it. And without judgment, we bring condemnation with it. That's where we need to be careful. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at the things mentioned in the book of 2 Thessalonians. It would seem like the world around you is always talking about the end times, probably because so much of it is uncertain or unknown as far as the timing. But this book does touch on the end times, but more so the end goal. 
that Jesus will come back for his people who have chosen him as their Savior. So focus on the most important part of the message, which is that Jesus is coming back someday. It's a hope that you can hold on to when the rest of the world is getting caught up in all the noise. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? If so, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. On our website, you can also learn how you can support us in this ministry. We appreciate any and all contributions. Find out more at runningtheraceradio.com by clicking the Back to Homepage button. We're so glad you tuned in today. And we look forward to you joining us for our next edition of Running the Race.